Many times we need to keep our health in check, but don't know what questions to ask or where to begin. We walk in blindly to our health care provider and walk out none the wiser and maybe even more confused than before. Can you take charge of your health and arm yourself with the questions and preparedness you need? The answer is yes. Welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs. This program will answer your questions and give you the best practices for facing your medical partner in good health. Now, here's Dr. Susan Downs. Hi, welcome to Occupy Health with Dr. Susan There's a virus going around and people are concerned about their health, but we should have always been concerned about our health. We should always be trying our best to be healthy because there's so many insults in the environment, we need to keep our immunity up. One of the biggest challenges now is the COVID-19 virus. And then you add that to all the other toxins, oh boy, we have our challenges. So today I have with us Dr. Len Saputo. He is a board-certified internist with more than 50 years of clinical experience. He has pioneered the development of integrative, holistic, person-centered preventive health and care model called Health Medicine. He is the founder of the Health Medicine Forum. That's a nonprofit educational foundation and the Health Medicine Center in Walnut Creek. He's a practicing physician, motivational speaker, television and radio personality. He was formerly ranked number one in the world in men's senior singles tennis by the International Tennis Federation. Wow, love to play tennis with you. He is the author of Nautilus Gold award-winning book, A Return to Healing, Radical Healthcare Reform and the Future of Medicine, and Science, Spirituality, and Medicine. His free website is www.drsaputo.com. That's D-O-C-T-O-R-S. A, P is in Paul, U-T-O. He has more than 2,600 audio and video files organized to provide completely free integrative information on more than 30 common health care conditions. He's been engaged in clinical practice and research in light medicine for the last 20 years. So welcome, Dr. Saputo. Thank you, Susan. It's nice to be on the show. Well, nice to have you back. Okay. First, I'd like to just go over some of the points that we made in last week's podcast with Dr. Bill Code. Um, first of all, it's, I mean, this virus seems to be like an elephant. We're feeling different parts. We're looking for correlations. It's correlated with this, correlated with that. But it, just because it's correlated or association, says it doesn't mean it's causative. So we have to keep that in mind. But what we found last week is that the COVID-19 virus it exacerbates gut permeability, which creates a whole myriad of other problems. It's the start of autoimmune disease and great challenge to our immunity system. Also interesting, which might get something more causative than just a correlation, it enters the cell through the ACE in receptors and it clings to these receptors. So it's possible that certain medications such as the ACE inhibitors and R blockers could have an effect on how we do with the virus. I think the jury is still out on that one, but it does seem that there could be an issue there. Um, now, things that Dr. Code said enhanced COVID-19 was the pre-Batella bacteria in the body. So lactobacillus probiotic, for example, will enhance this. Grains enhance it. Vegan or vegetarian diets High-fat diets will enhance this particular kind of bacteria in our gut microbe. Aspirin, metformin, 
high blood pressure will also exacerbate this uh, bacteria in our gut, which is shown to not do too well with the uh, COVID-19 virus. So maybe that's one partial explanation of why people with these multiple conditions who happen to be on some of these same meds are having more of a challenge. Also, he pointed out low oxygen in the gut permeates problem and weakens the gut lining and that makes it more difficult with this virus. Also, a study I found showed that low cholesterol was correlated and they had a reason. Uh, Cholesterol is a steroid 27 carbon molecule that acts as a carbon trap. So low cholesterol increases the carbon pool, thus providing carbon for the DNA RNA synthesis. So and then creating resilience to COVID-19, he recommended the bifidus probiotic group, green tea, lauric acid as found in coconut oil. Uh, always good to get the veggies and things, celery, thyme, green peppers, chamomile, turmeric, rosemary. Berberin and chicory, he said, also decreases prebatella bacteria. And berberin has the extra advantage of lowering blood sugar. Now... Uh, advice for the worried well, he thought stress and fear, obviously raising our cortisol can make life worse. Now, also he recommended to help the immune system is keep the gut, keep it healthy uh, and re- reduce the grains, have probiotics. Um, also increasing stem cells and that can be done through hyperbaric oxygen as well as intermittent fasting. These will help our immunity greatly. Another point that came out is minimizing toxins. Our body only has so much energy. So if we're fighting off all these toxins, glyphosate, EMF, we might not have enough energy to do what we want to with the virus. Also avoid sugar. Takes over 20 molecules of magnesium to deal with one molecule of sugar. So it depletes our minerals and stuff that we need. You also mentioned photobiomodulation, which is very important. And I think Len will touch on that a little bit later in this talk. But he found that very useful in healing. So recommendations for those that are worried you might have the virus is high doses of vitamin C to get that started. He discussed oxylium cocidium homeopathic remedy, zinc, and uh, increasing glutathione, such as quality whey protein or NAC. Vitamin C, you can push that up until you use the toilet too much and then you, know, you have to push back. Other things such as um, in Neutralink in England, they found humic acid. That's an antiviral that stops viral movement into neighboring cells, olive extract, and a probiotic Saccharomyces boulardii. Also, Dr. Klinghart found that something his product HOCL, if you spray it in your throat, it can help uh, get rid of whatever you might have in your throat that's not advantageous. And endographic, he thought, was a helpful thing to help with the virus and the ACE receptor. So that's kind of a quick summary of last week's podcast. You can go back and listen to it. So now let's get on to the current one. Okay, uh, Dr. Saputo, please let us know. Um, what do you think about this virus and what's going on? Well, it's an interesting story. And, you know, nobody knows what's going on. And there are a lot of people with theories. Uh, There's a lot of information that is held back from us. It doesn't make sense to me that this little coronavirus, which has been around for a decade, well, a long, long time, uh, and usually just causes a cold, should do all the things that we're seeing it do. You know, China has about two to three million deaths from pneumonia every year. 
And that's a big number. But when Wuhan had its experience uh, with pneumonia deaths, there were about 3,500 deaths. And then all of a sudden, everything was shut down. You'd have to think that there was something else that we don't know that had to do with why that happened. Could it be because they had riots in Hong Kong and they were trying to shut things down and the easiest way to shut it down was to quarantine everybody? Because it certainly did that. Could it be because they had some kind of accident? Because they've got that research lab there that looks at at bioweapons. They're making bioweapons in in different labs all over the world. Uh, And that this is a genetically engineered uh, virus. And they were trying to stop it because they had some kind of accident. Who knows what happened? But today, you know, three months later from the time that it started out, all of a sudden we don't have uh, any more of that virus in China. And it's going rampant in, the, in some of the rest of the world, but not that much. When you look at the, at the number of cases, you look at the deaths that are anticipated from influenza. We're looking at somewhere around anticipation of 30,000 deaths this year. And so far, there have been 4,000 deaths and terrible predictions for what is, is expected to happen that we don't really know what to expect. Who's telling us the truth? That's, that's the real problem. So who knows what's really happening? Are there conspiracy theories that explain it? Is it just that this was a mutation that was bad luck and because it, it is fairly transmissible? that we're winding up with this? What do you think, Susan? Well, I always like to be optimistic and think that this was an accident that happened somehow or got out. I do think it's highly likely that flattening the curve is a good way to go. Just spoke it to is. a just spoke to a colleague today in England, and in one A&E, that's urgent care type, uh, everybody mm-hmm. in the waiting room had the virus, and they just told them to go home. So I don't know what's going on. I like to look at the bright side of things. And conspiracy theory, I don't know. I've read them all and connecting to 5G, and currencies are going to inflict on us, and this stuff about right putting chips in us and forcing us to have vaccines and Bill Gates' name comes all over the place. I don't know. I just want to think that they're just doing their best and that all these conspiracy theories are something that just engender a negative energy. And we have to keep our energy and spirituality as positive as it can. We don't know, but we if that's the case, we'll find out. Yeah, I think we've come to the same conclusion that we don't know. And a lot of the fear that's going on is not a positive thing. I mean, here we've shut down the economy over what might be just a cold that we're tracking. You know, when we did, when we did the H1N1 thing with the swine flu in 2009 and 2010, uh, that was the same story. I mean, there were, the doomsday virus was here, and it didn't happen. And what happened with SARS and MERS? The same thing with the coronaviruses. They didn't do much of anything. In fact, there wasn't even one death in this country from SARS. I don't know if many people know that from 2002. Not one death. And only a few cases. So who knows how to, to... I mean, does anybody really know what's going on? The answer is, if they do, they're not telling us. Well, if it's so, something, as you say, they won't tell us. But I have been reading, like in Italy, anybody that dies that has the virus, they say it's a death due to that virus. And I've seen that said in this country as well. 
that, oh, if you got the virus, we equate the death to that. And we don't know. I mean, uh, the goal sure. is right. that we need to keep our immunity up and keep ourselves healthy, whether it's for this virus or the next thing coming down the path, or just all the toxins that we just seem to love. Well, that's right. So it's a, it, you have to total up uh, the immune insults that we have because of, uh, of our epigenetics, you know, what we're exposed to as well as the pathogenicity of the virus itself. And and the sum total of that is what determines what happens. And what we're finding from the research I've done is that most people who are dying are either over the age of 70 or they have some kind of uh, immune deficiency that makes them that puts them at risk for it. So the question I have is, why don't we just put those people in quarantine? And And I understand that it's great to have a lockdown, but look what's happening to the economy. I mean, we're this is a major thing. They're talking about how many trillions of dollars, six or eight trillions of dollars to try and and make this uh, this problem go away because of a of a lack of, of driving the economy. It's See, I think problem. they just don't know. I mean, Trump tried for a while. Let's let's let it run its course for a while. Let's just put two <laughs> trillion in, which m- might have made sense at that time. But with yeah, all this panic right. and stuff, if he's wrong, the price is hard to pay. And they're already accusing him of being wrong for waiting too long. So, I mean, one just doesn't know. I mean, you've got this decision of flattening the curves and lots of death and versus what you say it might not be that bad. We just don't know. So they're taking the more protective course, as I see it. Right. And we don't even really know about the di- of the prevalence of this disease and the more or the mortality we know but not the prevalence because well, we don't even know the mortality symptoms. because everybody that's got the virus if he dies they attribute it to the virus also the test at least in the beginning had 30 percent false negatives i mean false po- false negatives meaning that people had the virus 30 percent of them are missing so they're walking around and we just don't know how many of them have it a lot of us might already have the antibodies to it we just don't know the prevalence well, the new test that's coming out, if it's accurate and it's, and it's not just some hype, is going to be a breakthrough because they're going to be measuring antibodies. And if they measure IgM and IgG antibodies, it'll tell us uh, who has what as far as that's concerned. But I think your point about saying that just because somebody has uh, antibodies or this day, because they have the actual coronavirus, is that what killed them? You know, it's, it's, a, cumulative, it's a cumulative thing. Uh, are the heart attacks caused by that? Is the, How about people who have chronic lung disease or have other kinds of health issues that, that happen during the time that they have this infection? So how do you really know what the real prevalence of the death or of the number of patients that we're seeing uh, are accurate? And also, as I said in the beginning, as this virus enters the cell through the ACE receptors, uh, a lot of these high blood pressure medications uh, we don't know how this is going to shake out, but there could be a scientific reason that these cause problems. So, duh, people with high blood pressure are at higher risk. Well, that makes sense. People uh, taking metformin, it disrupts the gut in a way that affects the virus. So that there's sure. people with diabetes that are more susceptible. So everything's interacting with everything, and we just don't have the answers, but... They're taking the most conservative measures, as I see, because if somebody's yeah, wrong... Yeah, I wonder why we didn't do that hit. last year, or 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. Why now? Why all of well, a what sudden? Do you, what do you think? Well, I don't know the answers to it, but what I see is just a blip so far 
that you can hardly measure when you look at all the deaths that we have from pneumonia in this country every year. It's, or, or even look at China. You know, if there are 3 million deaths from pneumonia and then all of a sudden to 3,500 more, you can't even, it doesn't even register on the screen. So how do we know? I don't have the answer to that. I don't know that anybody does. So what we wind up with is, is something we don't understand. I, I think that there are answers to this that people know, but I don't think they're telling us. Because it doesn't make any sense that all of a sudden we would be taking these draconian measures, disrupting the economy, scaring the heck out of people, unless there was really something to worry about. And you can't just make statements by saying that there are going to be 200,000 deaths, or like Gavin Newsom was saying, if, if this thing goes bad, we'll have 2 million deaths in California. You know, we go back and, and we hear that story from the pandemics of the past that never materialized. So what do you make of it? I mean, how do you really know? Well, what uh, do you think a, some of these reasons might be that uh, you suspect that we're not being informed about? Well, maybe this virus has mutated in some way that uh, it is really going to be more of a serious thing. Uh, Maybe it could be that there was some kind of accident in Wuhan where when they bioengineered the weapons that they make that are bioengineered weapons, uh, that this thing leaked out for some reason. Yeah, I assume there was an accident. I assume that much. Yeah. Yeah. So, And when they studied this, you know, there were studies that came out of India that if they're accurate, there were big changes in the coronavirus that don't make that don't add up as to just simple genetic mutations. So if that's the case, then the whole thing deepens, the whole plot deepens. Uh, so I don't know the answer. I worry about that, that because it doesn't make any sense that there's something else going on that maybe nobody knows, but it could be that somebody does. And here we are. I don't have the answers. Uh, I think the best thing to do for our health is to take it at face value, and they're trying to protect us and keep us safe. Other things might be going on, and the Internet's full of all these theories, but, sure. um, uh, you know, let, let's, uh, be, for peace of mind, until I get more evidence otherwise, I'm taking it at face value. Yeah, well, I, I be think wrong. that's what we should do. That's what we should do. But I think that there are things we can do to protect ourselves that go beyond just isolation, you know, and being confined to the house. Well, let's uh, talk about those. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are things like vitamin C. Nobody talks about that much, and I can't understand that. You know, because in China, they published data that showed that when they they gave what they called high-dose vitamin C, which wasn't high-dose at all, they called it megadosis, and they were given like 6 grams intravenously a day or 12 grams or something like that. And those of us that are in nutritional medicine, orthomolecular medicine, nutritional medicine, know that we, you can give a 150 or 200 grams in a day to people that are really sick with certain kinds of viral infections, and it makes a difference. And then there were a couple of hospitals in New York. Yeah, uh, I was just about that, to say that they're that, using it in New York. Yeah. Yeah, and yet when you, when you listen to the news and they talk about what you can do about it, these things don't even come up. It's sort of like they're being ignored, and, and it could be, and I strongly suspect it's true, that intravenous vitamin C would work in people who are in respirators and, and even close to death. Oh, I'm sure. That, as long as you don't have the GP's 
the G6, the 6GPD or whatever mutation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we all believe yeah. that. I mean, talk to Dr. Yeah. Revy or, you know, absolutely. But so those of us that practice the kind of medicine that we do, we know that. And yet, and there's data that's been published uh, that supports it. And yet nobody's really doing it. At least they're not saying it. That's why we so, have this show, to get the information out to the public so we can be exactly. proactive and not wait for the magic pill to get into the see the magic uh, healer. Yeah, well, that's right. Well, there is basically, it's admitted in the mainstream of medicine that there is no viral antiviral treatment that will work for this disease. And yet I listened to a number of shows from different universities, I won't mention their names, uh, where zinc actually is of some value. And, and now they're talking about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine, uh, yeah. all related to zinc metabolism as being something that would be a good thing to do. And then in passing, they all mention, oh, oh yeah, and some people are talking about vitamin C, and then they just go on as though that was the whole story. To me, uh, I suspect that a lot of doctors on their own are giving intravenous vitamin C to their sickest patients. The problem is, is if you work for a big organization, the big medical groups, and you do something that's out of the mainstream, they'll come down on you for it. I don't understand how a doctor who cares about his patients, whether there's data or not, that's solid data that supports it in the scientific research, why they wouldn't do something that's safe, affordable, and maybe effective in dire situations where people are, are having a, a, a miserable time with their infection. Well, I used to be a consultant for the medical board, and, you know, when I saw some things I thought were atrocious, and I tried to get the standard of care, and there was none, you had to judge it against what other people are doing. And basically, if you do something that the the man tells you to do, then you're protected by insurance. You do something that they tell you not to do, your insurance won't protect you. But that doesn't say why they don't add IV vitamin C to whatever else they want to do. But I no, mean, there's well, insurance companies won't insure you if you do something different. You're 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 reamed. Well, if it if it's an economic issue, which it could be in in those terms, I would understand that. But I wouldn't condone it. I, I can't I, even I forgive. I I can't even forgive it. But I'll tell you something, Susan. You know, in in 2005, there were a group of us that worked for California Citizens for Health Freedom. There were five or six of us that worked with Frank Cooney. And we went to Sacramento, and we passed a law, okay, that's now in effect, that says a doctor can practice anything a doctor wants to, and it's legal. Two conditions. One is you don't dissuade the patient from the standard of care, and the second is you don't harm them. And now that's been tested in a case where somebody did uh, some alternative therapies for cancer that were absolutely not in the mainstream. And I was involved with defending that person, and we got them off. So there is some freedom in California, at least, and I'm sure in, a, in, in some other states as well, where you can do what you want. The problem is if you work for Kaiser or you work for any of the big groups, okay, uh, Dignity Healthcare, and you try and do stuff that's different, they will come down on you. But it's yes. possible for doctors that are not so engaged in that to do what their their common sense tells them and what their morals tell them. You've got to do something that that is going to help people. And as long as it's safe and it doesn't cost a lot, a lot 
what's the problem? I agree you know, wholeheartedly. And I think we could be doing this on our own. You know, I sent a newsletter out to my patients and also posted it online uh, of what to do if you want to, if you one are exposed, okay, in the community as we are today. What should pretty much everybody do after they? spoken to a responsible healthcare practitioner is take vitamin C, two or three grams twice a day, to add to that 100,000 international units of vitamin A as a one-time dose, and then maybe five to 10,000 units up to a month, uh, as long as you're not pregnant, but again, run it past your doctor, and vitamin D, 50 to 100,000 units a day for three or four days, and then maybe 10,000 units a day for the next month. And that should do a lot to boost your capacity to fight against infections. And this is safe common sense. You're yep. not going to be taking people and, and, and exposing them to toxic levels of these things. And a lot of us don't have enough on board uh, of these uh, simple nutrients to support our immune system. I agree. And I've, I, have so, I have a couple of patients who have been sick and just really sick. And I told them what I thought they should do. These were my patients to take their vitamin C levels to bowel tolerance, which means they may take as much as 100 grams, which is 100,000 milligrams in a day. The last person I told to do it took about 70 grams before they got the bowel tolerance. That's a heck of a lot of vitamin C. And then on subsequent days, you lower the dose. They don't have the side effects that go with it. But it's a very good way to, to make people feel better and get over their illness quicker. And that is just from experience. It's anecdotal stuff. So you don't really know for sure uh, that you're doing You can't prove it in a scientific way. But what else have you got? Now those, so the, the spectrum of what you do there depends on how sick you are. Then there are certain other options, too. You're talking about chloroquine and hydroxychloroquine and then the zinc we talked about uh, and uh, so there are just ways to go about it. There's oxidative therapies. People are using ozone. And yeah, Robert Rowan has come out and said that his treatment is successful with the coronavirus. Now, he had been in Sierra Leone treating people, and everybody he treated for the Ebola virus when he was there, I know. they got I well. Know. I mean, he told I me that the well. health minister got it and refused treatment, and he did not survive. But his wife was held under house arrest with a barbed wire and guards uh, because they yeah. suspected she had it. She lied and said she didn't, but she escaped, went over the barbed wire fence, went past the armed guards, went to Dr. <laughs> Rowan, was treated, yeah. and lived. Yeah, well, I think that's true. And again, the problem is is our health care system here with the National Institutes of Health gives me very grave disappointment because they should be supporting the research that we need that's going to help people, not just the research that supports the pharmaceutical industry or the insurance industry or somebody else. Why don't we do studies on IV vitamin C and megadoses or look at oxidative therapies to treat these virus infections? Because no one because has a patent a on it that wants to pay for it. Well, NIH should be paying for that because that's us. I agree. And NIH is not funding much in the way of doing things that are not mainstream. It supports the CDC. It supports the FDA. It supports the pharmaceutical industry, the insurance industry. It's not supporting Americans. 
from that point of view. From that point of view, I agree. So here we are. So what do we do? We, we do what you're doing today, interviewing people who have that same view that you do, that we need to get this out so people can hear it. But the problem is these people are so freaked out, I think a lot of them will think we're just crazy when we talk about stuff like this, because if it was good, wouldn't everybody be doing it? It reminds me of what happens with the light therapy that we're eventually going to talk about today. The things that it does is mind-blowing, so so mind-blowing that when you tell people about it, they go, you must be crazy. Well, I don't think it's crazy to recommend various things, vitamins, that vitamin D is shown to help with inflammation, oxidative stress, gut health, mitochondrial health, everything imaginable. Vitamin C we know has benefits, and zinc we know has benefits in fighting off infection. I mean, zinc is used in, you know, many, 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 uh, you know, activities in the body, and I mean, to say to do this in addition to whatever else you're doing, I don't see that's crazy. It's just like a little bit of extra insurance. We're not sure. Crazy. See, you're making perfect sense. But but it's so different from what the mainstream thoughts are uh, that are closed-minded about this that don't support the research. So all you do have is anecdotal evidence and your experience. And who believes it? That's the problem. And when that it comes to problem. light therapy, it's it's really in spades. I mean, really in spades. We're doing things with light that that mainstream medicine can't begin to touch. And you just sound like you're some weirdo who's saying stuff that, that's crazy. And it's not. And there is good research on it, but we'll get to that. Okay. Yeah, I mean... I mean, because last week, uh, Dr. Code was saying that this light therapy, it goes, it can penetrate, you know, the body has holes, and so this light goes through and intersect, interacts with the cells, and the cytochrome system is a pathway to right. the mitochondria, so you release more right. energy and everything works better. It affects the blood vessels supplying the brain, provides energy yes, to the does. brain, and actually, yes, for does. lasers, is recognized by the FDA to treat PTSD, uh, traumatic brain injuries, and chronic encephalopathy. So it's not that far out. No, except nobody's doing it. You know, the people at Harvard are doing it, and at Boston University, and, uh, and, and the Boston are. VA. I'm and sorry? you are. And you are. We're going to wake oh, up yeah. some of these other people that feel frustrated and want to help their patients. Well, yeah. I'll have to tell you a little story about that, okay? I have a patient who has Alzheimer's disease and Parkinson's, okay? And so he comes to me, and I said, uh, I think we can try some light therapy on you. Because, and I showed him the research from Harvard and from the other places I told you about that support it. And I thought, well, I'll call the neurologist that you have so we can work together. So I called this person up, and we have a little conversation. I said, well, we're doing things a little differently than you are in the mainstream. We know you're using Aricept and some of the other drugs, the L-DOPA stuff for Parkinson's, uh, but we're using another treatment, and I'd like to share that. And, and the neurologist says, well, what are you doing? I said, well, we're using infrared light therapy. And before I could say another word, the answer was, is, well, you're a quack. I'm going, a quack? I said, well, why don't I send you some literature so you can have a look at it? And the neurologist says, well, my spouse... Uh, is doing research in Alzheimer's, and they never heard of it. So you have to be crazy, 
and I'm not going to, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I said, can I send you some information about it? I have a PowerPoint and references that I think you'll enjoy reading. And the answer was, no, I, I can't have your email address. And then it was a click. Goodbye. Now, my wife was listening to that conversation because it was a nighttime conversation, and I had it on the speakerphone, and she says, who was that? It's so disrespectful. It's ignorant, arrogant, close-minded, and determined to continue just that way. And when you when I give lectures on this, which I do in a, a number of places, I get a wonderful response from people. They go, wow, this is amazing. And I would say if 1% of those people who listen come to me to see me as a patient, it's a lot because it just doesn't sound right. And the other thing about it is it's not very expensive. You're looking at $60 for a 15-minute treatment with light and using the most sophisticated stuff. I've got a, over $150,000 of equipment in my office, and I'm charging 60 bucks for a 15-minute treatment. And by the time we finish those treatments, you may be doing it over a period of a week or two, it will be under $1,000 almost always. And you look at the cost of putting somebody in a convalescent hospital for a month, you're looking at eight or $10,000 a month. That's how difficult it is to get people to see things that are out of the ordinary, particularly when the medical profession is going, oh, we don't know much about that, so it must not be too good. And our institution does support using this treatment, so uh, we think it's baloney. And who are you going to believe, your doctor well, or somebody who's coming, coming out with something that sounds a little weird? Well, my experience with my health provider, I cured my trigeminal neuralgia. They didn't seem to care. And then yeah. when my cholesterol hit 200, where it's been for decades, I wanted to prescribe a statin. I said, don't you care oh, why yeah, right. this, my cholesterol is at level? We make 80% of it. Then I told them, well, I've got this lipoprotein A that's off the charts, five times the upper limit. Yeah. The reaction was, what's that? Yeah, I right. walked out in disgust. I said, that's it. I'm not coming back here. Well, how much training do, do we get as physicians when it comes to nutrition? But Tiff, oh, I, I slept Duke through that hour. And I, think uh, I, so had, I, I had an hour. Yeah. And I was arrogant enough in, in the late 1970s when my wife was taking vitamins, because I didn't know much about this and I wasn't into it. Uh, I said, why, why do you do that? You're just making expensive urine. <laughs> now, it took a while for me to figure out that there was something to it. When I met some of the orthomolecular giants like Linus Pauling's colleagues, everything changed really quick. And as I began to study this, and I have now for 30 years, you really get an eyeful of, of stuff that's wonderful. To think that you can practice medicine and think that food doesn't make any difference, that's insanity. You can't well, make things if you don't put the raw materials in to make them. Well, I think we need to take sense. over uh, and be more proactive in our health. For example, in front of me is a headline, U U.S. hospitals consider universal do not resuscitate orders for coronavirus patients. That means if these patients need intubation or have trouble, they're just going to let them go. That's frightening. So we yeah, need to well, be proactive for our own health and uh, do what we can to keep our immunity up. So tell us more about well, the light therapy. Okay, well, it's, you know, I'm, I met this fellow. Actually, I was reading an article about uh, 20 years ago in a th what I call a throwaway medical journal, but it was a national thing. And as I read about it, I thought, this guy's making statements that sound ridiculous. He says you can use light and you can treat pain, uh, almost any kind of pain. 
<coughs> people with sciatica, and it has all these other kinds of effects on a myriad of, of sports injuries, uh, neuropathies. And I thought, I was ready to throw it out. And I noticed that the guy was living in Lafayette, California, which is five minutes from my home. So I called him up. I said, why do you, I told him who I was, I said, why do you print things like that when you know that if it was that good, everybody would be doing it? And he just started <laughs> laughing. He says, you know, I'm not a doctor, I'm an electrical engineer, but you're just like everybody else. You read something that's a little different, you think it's impossible to be any good. And he, he challenged me then. He says, why don't you bring a couple of your pain patients to my office, and I'll show you what light does in about a half an hour. So I brought two people over. One guy had MS who was largely in bed most of the day because he couldn't work, and he was in pain. Uh, he hobbled into the office that was uh, where, where this person was. His name was Maurice Bales. And uh, Maurice said, okay, I'll show you what I'll do here. And we treated him for about 15 minutes. And the guy came in. He was all hunched over, and he was stiff, and he just was miserable. And in 15 minutes... He's standing straighter. He's got a smile on his face. And he says, oh, thank you so much. And we treated that man over the course of the next few weeks. And he went back to full-time work. And he lived a, a very much more functional life. So Maurice Bales offered me to take a course from him. He says, free course. Why don't you bring two or three patients here after work on Mondays and Wednesdays and Fridays who have pain? And we'll do that for three months, and then you tell me what you think. I thought, well, you did do this for my patient, and I am impressed. I'll do it. So we did that for three months, and nearly everybody we treated, whether they had back pain or they had sports injuries or they had uh, neuropathies or other kinds of neurological things, almost everybody got better. And so he says, what do you think now, Mr. Smart Guy? I just looked at him, and I said, <laughs> you're right. And so he says, I'll tell you what, I will, I've been looking for a doctor for years who would listen to me, and I've got this company that's uh, making this equipment. I will give you the equipment and teach you how to use it. And he did that 20 years ago. We've been mm -hmm. working on it for 20 years together, and we've become close friends. He has started up a company that makes equipment that we've probably gone through 20 or 25 or 30 iterations of, and now have a technology that's unbelievable. We can treat our patients with this light using infrared imagers. There's a $75,000 camera that measures the infrared heat patterns on the surface of the body that tell us an awful lot about where the nerves aren't functioning right. So if you have somebody with back pain and sciatic and they're miserable, just miserable. They can't sleep right. They're on gabapentin and a lot of the other drugs, some of them even on codeine or, or even morphine. We treat those people in real time using this imager, using this equipment that he's created. That there are LEDs that make different wavelengths and frequencies of light. And we watch in 15 to 30 minutes these patterns changing because what we're looking at is the heat patterns that are abnormal, that are caused by nerves that regulate blood flow to the skin, but not very well if they're damaged, like they are in people who have, say, sciatica. When you treat it, it's like taking a big eraser and getting rid of these patterns that you see that are abnormal, and they return back to what you see in people that don't have pain. 
And in a half an hour, it's unusual to not make someone's paint at least 50% better if they have that. And if they have something like a diabetic neuropathy, where they have pain uh, enough so that they're in a walker or a wheelchair, and they can't feel the bottom of their feet much at the same time, and their balance is terrible, it's very unusual if they have this from diabetes, that we don't eliminate the pain, improve the numbers, get them out of their walkers and wheelchairs in a day or two or three. That would be unusual. And I've treated thousands of those people now. In fact, I don't know if you know who Gary Null is, but he has a, a yeah, retreat yeah, in, in Texas. And we've been there five times uh, for a week to treat his patients there. And he tele- he videotapes a lot of this stuff, and he makes films out of it. And, and, and we had a couple of patients who had neuropathy from different, for different causes, one in a wheelchair and the other in a walker. And the man, and he filmed it as we were doing it. And the man who was in the wheelchair went to a walker, and the man in the walker was running around the place when he was done. And it was like breathtaking. People were watching wow. it. We've got it on film. He's making a film now uh, calling Curing the Incurable that we will be part of. So that's what I'm inspired about. And now that the people from Harvard and Boston have come out and treated people with traumatic brain injuries, as you were saying, but also Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and MS, we've treated a number of them. They're getting better in ways that mainstream medicine can't begin to do. And you start touting this to people or to the neurologist or to your colleagues, they go, sure, oh, yeah, sure, Dr. Saputo, I'm sure you could do everything. And you want to look at them and go, why don't you just listen and come and see? I don't get referrals from other doctors, but I get a a lot of referrals and have a full-time practice with those referrals patient to patient. It's stunning. So it works, I assume, by, you know, helping the blood cells flow, helping with inflammation, helping with oxidative stress. As I said, it might, you know, affect, go through the cells and uh, gin up the mitochondria. Is that, are those it some of the things the, it can it do? It can increase ATP production by up to 75%. So if you've got nerve cells, okay, in your brain or any place else, and you can increase the production of ATP, which is the defect you see in every chronic disease, is, is a mitochondropathy, meaning they can't make enough ATP. That's the energy currency of the body. If you can do that, you're going to restore function. And if at the same time you improve blood flow by 25 or 30%, which you do even in normal people, and you can reduce inflammation, and you can attract activated stem cells, you can increase lymphatic drainage, and you can relieve pain, You've got something that's a freeing miracle. So uh, where can the listener, you know, without the MD degrees and stuff, where can they get uh, a version of this that would be helpful for them? Well, they're sold all over the Internet. The problem is finding one that's a good one. And, and, well, and what there are, are some many of the good of ones? And I'm not in the business of, of making the machines or of supporting any particular brand, although the ones I use are completely from my friend Maurice Bales, there's a company called BalesPhotonics.com uh, that they can look up. And when you buy uh, you a product Bales, there, you'll B-A-Y-L-E-S? get a very good product. B-A-L-E-S? B-A-L-E-S, Photonics, P-H-O-T-O-N-I-C-S.com. And, and I get great results from that. 
So what, you know, for the average consumer who wants to work on his health and build up his stem cells and get his ATP and mitochondria going and have his health go in a positive direction, uh, yeah. what kind of light or color or, you know, format like LED or whatever would you recommend? Well, these are all LEDs, so they're not lasers, they're state. And you need to know how to use it. You, you don't want to, but you can, you can buy one. And you'll get instructions about how to use it if you if you do buy one because Bales offers that service. Uh, so it's uh, but you really should have somebody who knows what they're doing teach you how to do it. So people come to me and I teach them and I do the treatment on them. They see it works, and the ones who are having real problems that might need ongoing treatment, like the people with Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, they're not going to, you're not just going to treat them for a week and have them be better. They might get better in a week or two, and then they need to buy a machine because if they don't use it every day, all this is going to come back. But you can buy a machine for between five and $8,000, and it sounds like a lot of money, but if you have Alzheimer's or Parkinson's and you end up in a convalescent hospital... For that, you're spending eight to ten thousand dollars in a month, so it's the bargain of the year. But the first thing to do is not buy the machine; it's to have somebody treat you with the equipment and see if it works on you. And if it does, it doesn't take much of a salesman to say, "Do you want to buy one?" Now you can buy a lot of uh, machines that are a lot less expensive. There's no question about that, but they don't work as well either. Okay. So, uh, okay, so you recommend, I mean, some people are talking about LED lights, and there's people selling red LED lights, etc. What do you? Okay. What are your comments on those? Well, they all do different things, and they have different depths of penetration. You look at the blue lights, and they don't go in more than one or two millimeters, which is not very much. It's like a sixteenth of an inch or something. And so if you if you do that, Everything heats up real fast because all the energy is dissipated in just that little amount of, of tissue. The red light may go in a centimeter or a little bit more, maybe two centimeters, so you can go deeper. And then the infrared will go into as, as much as 10 or 12 inches, so you can penetrate the body deeply and get it where, to where you want to go. Now, the machines that, that Bale's Photonics make is a lot different. They've got probably about 15 or 18 different wavelengths that they use of red, blue, and infrared and ways of delivering them separately or together. So you need to know a little bit about what you're doing. And, and they're safe. The only danger to it is if, you, if, if the skin gets too hot. But keep in mind, even with the blue light that doesn't go in very deep, you're treating the whole body. Because you've got something called nerve endings. You've got nerve receptors in the skin that are right there, one or two millimeters deep. And that treats that receptor, which goes back to that nerve body that goes back to wherever that nerve goes. So there's a lot to know about what the different wavelengths are and what they do. And we use combinations of that uh, that have come from 20 years of of different iterations of what's involved. If you took one of Maurice's machines apart, you'd see motherboards, things going on that I don't even begin to understand. I don't even try to understand it. I work as a team with Maurice. I'm the clinician. He's the, he's the brains behind it. I hold the light and how to use it, and that's how we do it. <laughs> 
Okay. Okay. So for the listener at home, you know, just who wants to stay well, or even if he gets exposed to the COVID virus, or even mm-hmm. if he thinks he's got a scratchy throat, what are your recommendations? I mean, zinc, vitamin C, vitamin D, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Light well, therapy. first of all, I'm not their doctor, so I am not giving them a prescription for what to do. What I would say is, this is what I do for my patients, and you discuss it with your your doctor. And I would say that I would give vitamin C, this plantal ascorbic acid, uh, three grams twice a day, as long as you can tolerate that, all right, and almost everybody can. I'd start out with 100,000 international units of vitamin A, as long as not a woman who's pregnant. Uh, and I wouldn't use it for a sustained period of time because it can lead to osteoporosis and some other problems we don't want to get into. And I, I would use some zinc, maybe 100 milligrams a day of zinc. Uh, I would use vitamin D. Uh, and, I, and what I do is I take 50 to 100,000 units a day for four days and then drop it down to about 10,000 units a day for about a month. And then I would measure a level to make sure you're not way off the charts because you don't want to do that. Uh, and uh, and and that's pretty much what I would do. And of course, do the thing that that uh, the president is telling us. You know, we do have to uh, be confined to uh, not be exposing other people to it. We've got a potentially very serious pandemic occurring that's in the process that hasn't yet matured. Although, if you go to New York, you'll think it has. But for the rest of the country, not that much. California, not that much. There've been less than two hundred deaths in California. Okay, from this coronavirus, and we've got 40 million people, so it's not a whole lot of people, but we don't want to start this epidemic to, to be doing worse than it already is because it's, it's, it's moving like wildfire through some places. Yes. So it's that combination of things uh, that uh, I would do, and of course, all the lifestyle things, diet, eat the right foods, exercise the best you can, uh, but every day work up a sweat of some kind. Make sure you get enough sleep and handle your stress. Uh, avoid toxic exposures. And, and above all, like you said, keep a positive attitude. You've got to have that, have that inner smile. That inner smile goes a mile towards boosting immunity. Norman Cousins' work was brilliant stuff that showed that what you think affects your biochemistry and your physiology big time. So that's my recipe, and I, most of my patients do pretty well. Yeah, also, you mentioned toxins. As I said, I believe that if we're fighting off toxins, that we don't have enough uh, whatever juice left to deal with virus and other insults. And particularly problematic are glyphosate and EMF, as I mentioned last week. They open up the blood-brain barrier, the gut barrier. They interfere with intercellular communication. And glyphosate impairs the ability to detox. So staying away from these, I mean, also Dr. Code said last week just eating grains will increase the particular bacteria in the microbiome that does not do so that does not have COVID nineteen due to um, get treated very easily. So well, I right. mean, avoid these other toxins that are stressing our system. But they're putting five G in so quickly, and they're pushing glyphosate and GMO on us. Oh, it's yeah, just like well, a perfect storm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it is. I mean, all the stuff on five G is very scary, and we know that it interferes with mitochondrial ATP production. And any time you do that, you're aggravating and taking away from your your body's empirical way to stay healthy. 
So it takes a little of this, a little of that, a little of something else, and next thing you know, it doesn't take much to make you sick. And that's what your point is. I think it's great. And that's why the younger people, I think age 27 is the age of maximum health, and they start to go down. I think in 1986, yeah. 12% of children had a chronic disease, and now it's like 54%. Uh, one yeah. out of six kids have a uh, you know, disability, according to the CDC. It's the perfect yeah. storm. And those yeah. of the people growing up in the midst of the storm are not doing as well as we are, that we miss some of it. Well, we were lucky that, that way, but we're, they're making so. up for it now. Yeah, uh, well, hopefully, yeah. So that's why it's important that we take active steps. Now, we have two minutes left, um, so okay. any parting words? I mean, I obviously here, be well, uh, minimize stress, take active precautions, exercise, sleep well, light therapy, look into a provider that can provide it, and what else would you like to say in parting? Well, I like what you say about keeping a positive attitude. And keep in mind that if you're much of a believer in spirituality, that the Creator is not doing things, and I, and I think the Creator has a lot to do with what happens. And it's not done as, as, as much, it's not for punishment. It's for to try and find ways to open our eyes to what we're doing that we're not doing right. We need to do more in the way of develop community uh, and to share things with people and operate more from love than our independent attitude is. And until we evolve to a higher level of consciousness where we are living in community and we care about our neighbors and we're working together, uh, we're going to have a hard time. So maybe this is a time for a wake-up call. So that what some we can pe- do is go back to the basics. Some people believe that, yes. Well, but that's my belief when as we're a doctor. In, I when we're in fear, we're not, we're not necessarily in love reaching out to our community. That's right. Well... I think that you hit on it. This has uh, been a great interview. Thank you very much. Well, I thank you, Dr. Saputo. And his website, again, is Dr. I think it's drsaputo.com. It's, it's, it's balesphotonics.com. And if you want my website, I have a, a free website that uh, is called drsaputo.com that has 2,600 audios and videos that I've made and 33 health assessments on various different health conditions that are easy to And the to spelling change. of his name will be on the write-up for this program. So in closing, uh, do your own research, uh, find it, you know, take vitamins, exp- look into it, share it with your friends, share it with your clinician, always check with your physician and provider, share this information right. so you can help every so we can help each other and above all, be well. for listening. Occupy Health with Dr. Susan Downs can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Here's to better health for you this week.